Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. I am Taylor, your executive producer and the current guest host of the podcast. And last week, we had a wonderful conversation with Charlie Hilbrandt for our Shooter Editor series. And this week, we have on Larry Marshall, who was previously here on the Film School series. So welcome back, Larry. Hey, it's good to be back. Yes, and Larry is coming to you live from his new home in California. Yeah, yeah, that's a true story. I moved here. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about your recent move, Charlie, because you were previously in Chicago, correct? First off, you called me Charlie, which I think is hilarious. Oh my god, Larry! <laughs> See, this is what happens when I record two podcasts in a row. You write my name on a post-it note. No, it's because he, he and I are like the exact same person, basically. Um, it is confusing because y'all talk about each other a lot, and you lived <laughs> in the same place. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry. What was the question then? Uh, tell us about your recent move. So I moved from Indiana to not L.A. It's actually Huntington Beach, which is just south of L.A. Um, some people might know Long Beach. That's like very close by. We're near the, the border there. I'm, I'm technically in Orange County. O.C. Um, O.C. So, yeah. <laughs> get it. I don't. Yeah. Um, and... It's sunny and 75 all the time, and it's lovely. There were some clouds this morning, and I was like, why? Um, but then they cleared up, so <laughs> uh, it's fun. So it's you're fun. a sun guy. You know, who isn't a sunny? I mean, I like it. It works. It works pretty well. Um, but um, in Indiana, I had been there for six years, and I I knew everybody. I have to restart, basically. So I'm kind of having to rebuild the network you know, from the ground up, and there's some techniques I'm going to use to hit the ground running faster than it took me in Indiana. And I lived in West Lafayette, Indiana, which is two hours south of Chicago, and so I would shoot with Charlie frequently. Um, he'd come to me, I'd go to him, um, and it was a nice uh, relationship, for sure, and we're sad that we are so far apart. But Charlie's like, hey, I'm just a plane ride away, man, so... Uh, he's very eager to come out and shoot here and we are going to shoot. Um, we already have a wedding on the books here. I think it's in Malibu or something. I don't know. Nice. It's actually his wedding, ironically, like not mine. (laughs) Still though. It's like, I'm going to book a wedding in Cali and oh wait, Larry is there now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know who my second is. And, um, and then also this weekend, which by the time this airs, will have been just this past weekend. Um, I have a last second wedding that I probably will be shooting. Um, and I do want to just discuss briefly about when you move to a new place or if you are starting out, of course, what can you do to, you know, get clients? And I know that we've talked about that a little bit already um, in other podcasts, but shooting, of course, for lower cost to get your foot in the door and get going and build yourself up is the standard. Um, but also there's a few organizations that you can join as well. And I had an organization in Indiana. It's called ILEA, the International Live Event Association. And it's just chock full of people in the live event 
industry. Um, awesome. So, yes, planners, photographers, uh, DJs, uh, designers, just people in general who are just looking to constantly network with each other, and they send jobs around to each other like crazy in Indiana. And I'm hoping that that's the same thing over here. Um, it, in Indiana, I think it was $400 a year. So that's not crazy because you can make that back pretty quickly, and I think that's a good use of our dollars. Um, Absolutely. And I got a lot of work off of that. And then, you know, here I'm going to join. And since I was over there in Indiana as a member, they're kind of already going to take me a little bit more seriously than somebody who's just, you know, pandering around trying to figure out what they're going to do. I'm going to say, yes, I was already over there. I already did all this. This is the work I've done. And this is what I want to do. And, and they have networking events like every month. So I'm trying to hit the ground running and network with those people because those are the people who are probably at least the mid tier. They're not going to be the upper, upper tier of people, people to network with. Um, those people are probably just not even in a trade group anymore. They're just because they've got enough money and business without it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a good way to, to start out is to look into that um, um, organization or similar organizations like that. So that's how I'm trying to get the trying to hit the ground running here. Awesome. So do you imagine you'll kind of like scale back on your pricing and your packages just to get the ground rolling and then yeah. kind of work your way back up? Yeah. And, and initially when I was in Indiana, I was like, no, I'm going to hit, I'm, I'm going to stick firm to my pricing. In fact, I'm going to raise my pricing. And I, I just don't think that that's going to work for the first year. I just think I need mm -hmm. to be attractive because I need to, I want to book weekends now and I need to I need to do what I hate that other people are doing but it's a very short-term thing and then I'll quickly raise my pricing up because the pricing here I mean geez oh Pete's like so like milk is like twice as expensive so I, I cannot be doing yeah. I can't be nope. doing less than my Indiana pricing you know for longer than like six months and it just kind of comes down to I only want to shoot 15 to 20 weddings a year and preferably right. 10 so I would love to get the pricing up high enough so that that isn't like my only source of income. I kind of want it to just, um, I want to get more into some corporate stuff. I want to do business stuff. I don't want to just do weddings, but, um, that's a new area for me and I'm very good at weddings right now. And so that's my bread and butter. And so I'm going to start at that, but then I do want to eventually perhaps consider scaling it back but i don't know taylor the, the everything's wide open right now that's the thing you Sky's move somewhere the limit. yeah you move somewhere and it's like what do i want to do maybe i should become an uber driver or or maybe i should go work at an escape room like that would be fun um and uh some part of me wants to just do weird stuff like that just to get my mind out of the office which is just my apartment right now and Dude, just man, be like, you know what? Dreams. Yeah, you know, and, and, and go, maybe I'll be a model. No, and, and, and just have fun with stuff. So, but um, right now I'm, I'm going to definitely work on, on the weddings, initially at least. Awesome. So on that subject, um, what we've been kind of talking about in this series is really getting into the nitty gritty details of yeah. how you shoot a wedding day, what the process is like, and then transition into editing. Yeah. So let's talk about your wedding day. What does a typical wedding day look like for you? And kind of what's your process from start to finish? That's a loaded question. It's a very um, loaded question, but start like <laughs> at the beginning of yeah. the day. You know, what, yeah. how, where are you showing up? How does the beginning of the day look like and how does it evolve? I think it starts with 
before the wedding day even begins, setting expectations is important. We see a lot of the, you know, failure on the part of a videographer when they when they're stuck in a pickle like well we you didn't set expectations now of course if if somebody's having a problem with a client um at that point it's just damage control and probably bending to their will a little bit but um it is it starts with communicating weeks if not months prior um something i wanted to hit on was the they book you eight to 12 months out right ideally and then you maybe try to talk with them if you're trying to talk with them the week prior it's crazy and you are like way on the back burner and also their budget is completely dry by that point so selling upgrades if you're going to be doing that is not going to really happen at the week prior plus they just that's too stressful and it already feels like you're nickel and diming them so what i do and what i'm um, working towards is kind of the three or four month checkup just before, you know, prior to the wedding day where we are saying, hey, I sent an email like, hey, I just want to um, kind of go over what you're going to receive from me and just make sure that that is what you want and what your family wants and that I'm best serving your needs. And that's kind of like a nice way of saying, I want to bill you for more money and... (laughs) And I want, but I want it to feel and look like I'm looking out for your best interest, which you are because you're setting the expectation that I'm here to serve you. And by the way, you're only going to get a five minute film. Is that all you want? You know, because when they book you, they're all worried about, oh my gosh, like you're not getting you, just get you like, just get, just pencil me in. Here's a deposit. We'll figure out details later. And then I think we just wait until the week before. And and then it's like, oh no, because you know, the season gets crazy and there's always a wedding every month or every week for us, you know? So if you're busy, hopefully. And then, so you just really got to do it at the four month mark or the three month mark. And that way they they're way more relaxed um, you can get mom or dad in there if you feel like they may have paid for it. And that's also a good technique for um, selling, uh, depending on how your you know packages are put together. But if you are selling or upselling like a full ceremony or the, all the speeches and stuff, then you're definitely going to want to have them in there. And it also comes down to what the couple wants. Sometimes the couple is like, no, let's just talk. I don't need them. I don't need the planner. Um, but if you do have them, it's useful just to be on the same page with everybody and get get that idea planted in mom and dad's head that hey maybe you should spend a little bit of extra money because otherwise all your daughter ordered was this five minute film uh and let them have the the discussion behind the scenes after you hang up you know i would not say what do you need what do you want now i would say hey i'm just going to plant the seed let's just by the way it's this you know send them your extras list um prior to the call so they have something to reference Um, totally yeah and um so that's it all starts before the wedding day right so um wedding day itself you're gonna hear me say some stuff that's gonna mimic and and mirror a lot of what charlie has already said so you know what just go listen to the charlie podcast and we'll call it a day here no um (laughs) no larry you're special too i'm very special yes um the day starts with me getting there early um I beat the photographer pretty much all the time. And a couple reasons for that. One is for the detail shots. I really just want to have time to do detail shots 
without a photographer waiting on me or anyone expecting like me to hurry up and get them done. And, um, and also just to meet people and not freak them out with like a time crunch, get there early. And then I always say, I'm here early intentionally. It's not going to cut. If you have like an hourly package, like I'll do about 10 hours, I'll start. That's my minimum. And I'll be like, hey, don't worry. It's This isn't going to, because some brides are going to be like, whoa, you're here way too early. And uh, I don't want to pay for this. Um, not that they're saying that, but they're thinking that. Like, I don't want you to like send me anything because you showed up early. And I'm like, it's okay. It's all good. I just like to show up early and I'll probably stay a little bit later. Again, the expectation is only 10 hours. And then you continue to blow them away by doing a 12-hour day or a 14-hour day. Why yeah. not? I'm not doing anything else this morning. I'm just waking up and I'm going to your wedding. And right. I want to get a close parking spot, you know, so that I don't have to lug my gear. So I'd rather just take the extra like hour and just do that. And I know Charlie mentioned some of that. Um, regarding details, um, I used to shoot a lot of details, like way too much. And now I'm like just looking for two shots from details now i want if i can some sort of ring shot although i don't think any of the details are required you know it depends on your edit and what you're going to deliver but i don't think details are required that's not what in the end a wedding film is about it's not about detail shots they serve as great building you know like building blocks uh, for tension if you're going to do that um but they're not required. So if you do happen to show up late, it's, I think it's okay to just move on to just filming people. I think people is more important than the details. But if you have the time, get some cool detail shots. And it's also time for you to be creative. I mean, that's the only time when you have a lot of control over something that's happening. And you can take 15 minutes to shoot details if you want. Or you can take 45 minutes. Just depends on when you show up. Now, Charlie and I, we like to take a lot of time and get there early. And it's always like a lot of fun because bridesmaids will just watch us do weird things with details. So That's awesome. I, I don't know how much he, I don't think he went into too much of what we do, but I mean, nowadays we're, we're kind of just figuring out how, how to do details differently than a photographer because a photographer is static. Um, yes. The, you know, they can do a longer exposure and, and maybe add some movement in there. I think it'd be cool if they did, but I don't know. Um, you know, we just have an advantage by using motion and time. So I also get there early because I don't want to see what the photographer is doing because I don't want to be influenced by what they did. I want to just have a blank canvas, look at an area or find a texture and do my own thing. And a lot of that has movement where the ring is moving, falling. Things are shot in slow motion pretty much all the time just so I have that option of, hey, I could play it back at normal, but... I want to shoot it all in slow motion regarding details. Um, And um, it's funny because photographers, and I know you guys do photography as well, I always try to slip in that line where that were, when they finally arrive and and I've got all the details done and I I keep them gathered for them. I say, hey, what's up? You know, first of all, I probably have already emailed them ahead of time and uh, said hello. And here's the details it's all gathered i already got mine 
And so that way you don't need to worry about leaving anything out for me. I like to work separately from you anyway, since you're, you're doing your own work and I want to do my own work and not piggyback off of what you're doing. And that right there shows that you're looking out for, hey, I'm not here to mooch off of you. And they love that, let me tell you, because as, as well they should. But they will always be like, that's awesome. I hate it when videographers just shoot over my shoulder at a detail or I, I ask them, hey, do you want to get this shot? They're secretly thinking, I wish you wouldn't, but I, I'm going to be nice and let you get the shot that they, you know, got it all. Like they brought in their own flowers and stuff. And, you know, it's like a very intimate shot of the rings and the invitations. And that's not something that I want because it's statically done. And I don't love that that much anyway i want a lot more movement now i might use some of their flowers and stuff it's okay if i do that but i don't really care to um to mooch off them and they appreciate that you know i think a lot yeah that's an interesting perspective and something that i guess i haven't even thought about that much because i mean a lot of the times we are i mean we're very much the same like wanting to stay when we're not shoot also shooting photo right. we do like to very much be flexible let them know like hey we're gonna stay out of your way let us mm -hmm. know if we're in your way we want to like you know we understand that you're the photographer and for the, a lot of the day you're calling the shots yeah. as well you should but a lot of times we are wanting to shoot the same things that they're setting up or that they're getting together so that is an interesting perspective to kind of search for your own creative freedom mm -hmm. in a space where it would just be easy to be like, all right, you set up all the pretty details and I'm just going to swoop in after. Exactly. So. I don't I don't want to swoop in. I want to establish we're our own entity. We are to be respected. And they respect you when they see that you're thinking about them. Because we, as a videographer, are always working with a photographer. But a photographer, probably at this point, more likely than not, is not used to working with a videographer. Now, that doesn't mean they don't know how to, but it just means that a lot of the times, I would say at least 50% of the weddings, maybe, depending on your market, um, they're not looking out for you. They're just getting their shots and moving on. And so if you don't establish yourself as an independent player on the day and exude, exude a little bit of confidence, um, they're going to kind of... Uh, unintentionally walk over you not that they're mean I just they just you know they're not used to you and if you're gonna be complacent then they're going to use that and if you're gonna stand up for yourself a little bit and just but nicely uh, then they'll respect that and and everybody can get the shots that they want yeah absolutely yeah so you going through your day you've got your details how do you kind of approach like talking to the bride getting her prep groom prep Kind of all those moments that could lead up to the ceremony. So for bride prep, um, I also, I learned a lot of what I know from the Ray Roman Creative Live series, which Charlie mentioned as well. I'm just going to, we're just going to, I'm just going to mention Charlie as much as I can. And I think he mentioned me like six times. I'm going for seven. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let me, let me put my tally mark over here uh, uh. off camera. And... Um, and he goes over a lot of the techniques that I that I use and then I slowly modified over time. We don't want unflattering shots of the bride. Um, I really will not shoot anything of her until it's the last 5 to 10% of her makeup and her hair is already done. 
Um, but sometimes I will shoot some just for safety, just to get something, look at what the light looks like. But, you know, from afar, or I'll do some silhouettes at that point where we're not really seeing the fine details of her face. Um, and obviously the first time I see her that day, I won't have a camera in my hand. I'll just say, hello, how are you? How's everything going? Did you sleep at all? I know she didn't. I know how to, you know, kind of schmooze my way through that and be like, that's normal. It's just about calming her down because you're the first person with a camera to show up at least i am and she's not camera ready and i just and i tell her here's the game plan for the preps i'm not going to film you until you know you're like 90 percent done just just relax and that makes them like okay cool so i can be me and i can be not ready <laughs> and that's okay and he's going to go do details and so i think it's important to do that communicate with her and and or him or whoever it is just say here here's what's up and they just want to have perspective on what's going on um i don't like keeping them in the dark when i can i say hey everything's going great over the next 20 minutes we're going to do this but i don't need anything from you i just want to let you know what i'm up to and that just lets them know i'm working i'm getting things done i'm not just sitting around even though i'm not filming them there is still things to be filmed um in the last 5 to 10%, I'll move them to a good spot. If they're not already in a good spot, I'll move them a little bit um, just to get some natural light on them. I don't use any lights in prep unless we're in like a cave or something, which I've yet to do. Um, sometimes the makeup artists will have some LED lights, and it just depends on what those look like um, as to whether or not I'll film with them on. You know, you got to check for that roll in the shutter depending on their refresh rate so i'll check that and then if it's kind of bad then i'll probably say hey makeup artist just for you know some of these last shots i, I need to pop that light off i just know that light is creating a unflattering roll on the bride's face and if you say that in front of the bride she's gonna agree with you it's not like i'm trying to manipulate i'm just trying to be realistic and say this is the fact this is how it's got to be just for a little bit. You don't have to work under these conditions the whole time. Yeah. It's just it's just a little bit. And that's how you negotiate your way through. You don't want them to not be able to work because they don't have enough light or that you're walking up saying your light sucks. I'm going to flick it off for the next 45 minutes. So just you got to tiptoe your way through and not be demanding. And, and that's how I approach um at least the bride makeup part. And also, I don't really do too much with the dress anymore. Like, if the photographer wants to hang the dress up and do something with it, I will help them because that's another great way to yes, to get on the good side. And, and I'll say, yeah, maybe I'll get a shot, but where do you want to put it? And, and let them get what they need first, and then I might come in and get some shots. But otherwise, I don't, I don't really do too many dress shots anymore. Um, just sort of... Would rather get it going on. Would rather have details of it on her body. It's just more flattering at that point. A lot of dresses, when they're hanging there, they look weird to me. They just, they don't look flattering all the time. Maybe a close-up is okay, but a lot of times they're just like, yep, they're just flat up against the window and I'm tired of that shot. And I know that brides are not tired of that shot. So it is a balance between like showing what they've chosen and what I as a creative am bored of doing. Um, how do you stay um, interested in your work? And, because there are there's some shots you, you know, you just gotta get 
you got to get her coming down the aisle, even if you, you're, ti- mm-hmm. you're tired of that. Uh, that's an essential. Dress shot is not essential. I never had anybody complain when I don't have it because I have it going on. And I have it, I have some beauty shots or hero shots of her with it on. And so they're happy at that point. Nobody requests like specific shots from videographers. And I think, at least for me, and I think that's an advantage to videos. They don't really have too many expectations. Whereas with photo, I feel like there's kind of a list sometimes that they're looking for, yes. right? And and that's because they want to have that album and, and, and they want to see it. And they can spend as much time as they want looking at any single photo. But in video, we tell them how long they look at a shot by cutting to it and away from it. So we control that. Um, so we still retain a lot of control over the final product, whereas I feel like brides or grooms or whoever can still... Um, they have a lot more control with the photo, or at least they feel like they do. Um, and so they have lists, the Pinterest list, you know, and, and it's always about bringing them out of the stratosphere and be like, okay, that's a great shot from that wedding over on the beach, but you're having a hotel wedding and the light won't look like that. And, you know, so we're going to have to kind of modify your expectations a little bit, but, um, yeah, that's prep. Yeah. And I think that's, again, the advantage to having both a photographer and videographer and what we tell our brides, you know, us doing both, you know, the hope is that they hire our team for everything. But even mm-hmm. so, just to have both, because you're going to want the pictures to, yeah, yeah, you want to see pictures of those details. You want to have a record of it. You want to mm-hmm. see, you know, pictures of all the decor that you worked so hard on. You want to be able to just look at a photo of that. Yeah. You don't need to watch that in a video. Like you want the video because you want to see dad crying and, right. and the speech from your best friend. And you want to see the people. You want to see the emotions mm-hmm. and the experience. Like that's what you want to feel. And I feel like the on the rare occasions where a client will come back after seeing their film and request something else, it's usually like, oh, do you have a clip of this moment that happened? Mm-hmm. Do you have a little more of that speech? Or like, it's it's the people. Yeah. It's yeah. what's said. It's what, it's people you shots. know, is experience that people want the most of. So I, I agree that that's, to have that as your primary focus is really important, especially if storytelling is your main objective, which I think you probably have it a is. similar style. It's it very is. cinematic. Yes. And, audio driven i gosh i hate using the word cinematic anymore because what is that right i mean (laughs) what is that everybody and their mother shoots cinematically now and so i just don't even know what that means i mean i know what i want it to mean but i don't know what it means to brides and grooms anymore because it's marketed out the butt and everybody does it even though when you watch some you're like that isn't cinematic at all like there's nothing it's just a highlight with no audio and it's uh barely color corrected and it looks amateur but it's cinematic somehow i don't know so i don't i may use the word cinematic in my marketing but amongst the group of us i don't even like to say that because i'm not fooling anybody when it comes to you know us but cinema to me is there's story aspects of it um choices for lens selection and for where you're standing and a purpose for lighting is established and you have a style uh, a style that you can replicate pretty consistently no matter what's happening on the wedding day. Um, That is the most important thing to me because then again, the expectation is being met about what you're going to actually deliver to them. Yeah. yeah. So audio is important for you in your highlight films. Yeah. Audio is really, really important. I will 
be searching for that all day. I mean, I even one time I, I mic'd a father for a first look. And Definitely. Yeah, right? That's like, yeah? Okay, so I always do that. But in this instance, I did it, and um, when I was taking the mic off, after the first look was over, the photographer was like, oh, you mic the dad for the first look? And I was like, yeah, I always do that. And then I mic'd the groom, and he was like, you mic'd the groom for the first look? And this is like somebody who... I had worked with before and I don't know, maybe I was just so ninja-like that they never noticed that I put a mic on them. But some people are just really surprised about how much we're looking for that audio um, because photographers just literally don't care about audio except the moment of how that audio might make someone else feel for their photo at that moment. They just don't care. And we'll get to the toasts obviously in the reception portion of this but they don't photographers just do not care about toast like i see them still like testing their lighting during a toast like moving stuff around and they're not necessarily like set for the toasts but we need to be like set for the toast like lighting's done cameras are where they need to be because i'm doing continuous coverage so i can't just be waltzing around changing crap unless i absolutely have to and i have somebody manning a camera as well that that frees me up and allows me to go do something that may need to be adjusted but anyway we'll, we'll talk about toast and um later here in the podcast so yeah is running your business taking away from the time that you have to make better wedding films do you feel disorganized what happens when a hot lead goes cold after your first email response do you have a system in place to stay in contact with them? Do you find yourself asking, where was that bride's phone number again? And have they paid their invoice or not? Which package do they get and what are their deliverables? How organized are your financial records when it comes to tax time? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could afford forty dollars or $50,000 to pay someone to take care of all this extra stuff for you? I've got an idea. How about you sign up for 17 hats and pay just $300 a year to let their amazing online software take care of all of this for you. Before I got 17 hats, I was buried in a sea of unorganized emails, spreadsheets, bank statements, receipts, sticky notes, Google Docs, and more. I was letting hot leaves go cold because I couldn't remember who to stay in contact with. I was spending weeks trying to get my tax records organized from my accountant. It was awful. And now I pay 17 hats, just $300 a year, and they do all of that for me. It's like having a full-time assistant working around the clock on your business, making sure that everything is organized, invoices are paid on time, and making you look like a real pro to your clients. And now, 17 Hats is giving you an amazing offer. When you use the link at the top of our website, weddingfilmacademy.org, you'll get 15% off the list price, and it's a great way for you to help keep us making great content each week for you. If you want to learn more about 17 Hats, go back in the archives and listen to the podcast that we did with them. We actually got to chat with the CEO and one of the VPs of 17 Hats for an hour. So definitely go back and listen to that podcast as well if you want to learn more. Thanks a ton. Let's get back to the show. Cool. So you want to talk a little bit about maybe the ceremony and kind of how you run that typically? And also, I guess since you... We're talking mainly on your Indiana experience here. Yeah. What kind of venues did you typically find yourself in as far as um, ceremonies and receptions go? And did you travel to multiple locations often? 
in Indiana, it was like 70% Catholic. Wow. So it's boring to a film. <laughs> I have Agreed. nothing against Catholics. It's just as a filmmaker and a storyteller, when it comes time for the ceremony, it's really just autopilot for yeah. a lot of it. Which I'm comfortable with now, but it. Um, but starting out, it's very nerve-wracking to be shooting in a Catholic church just because of the restrictions that there can yes. be. Um, Charlie talked about the church lady and, and being... Charlie, by the way, that's mentioned number three or four, I think, here. Uh, the church lady <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting on good terms with her. It's always a female. I don't know why. Um, and uh, I don't know why, but but... Older women, like 55 and older, love me. I don't know what it is. You're gifted. Straight you up. You have it. <laughs> I think I just, I've got the aura of, are you like 50, 55? Are you managing a church during a ceremony? You like me. Hey, I don't know what it is. It's, I don't have run-ins with them. I think it's just because of the way that I approach them as, hey, we're in your space. Tell me the rules. And then... I'll do my best to not have you notice me breaking them. <laughs> um, I'm not actively looking to break them. I'm just, I'm just uh, approaching it as, hey, you are in charge. Um, you know, tell me what what's up, and then I'll ask you if I could maybe just this time do this. And but I'll have a super small footprint, and um, I, you know. So a lot of times if they don't let you be in the front, for example, for the processional, um, I will still try to get in the front or in one of the earlier pews and save a spot for me because the photographer is going to do it anyway. So they'd have to yell at both of us like I'm they're not exactly. going to just yell at me, especially since I'm I'm monopoding. And even sometimes I've handheld the processional because it's just so tight um, that I really wanted to blend in. And it worked out pretty good because I I don't I shoot GH five so I can handhold yeah, stuff. Do. I can handhold things that other people cannot. So there's some advantages with that IBIS. There is so many advantages with the GH five. Um yes, and but but yeah, processional. Um But yeah, that is one of the challenges to churches that I have run into because yeah. there are days when they are like no matter what, you are not standing up there. And there's times when you just have to be like, okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I will for sure. out how to get that shot from the back somehow. Right. You know, or. You know, you play yeah. their game and that's fine. Like sometimes you, even you as a person, you just don't feel like, you know, what? I don't feel like having any confrontation today. Like I don't even want to risk it. And that's totally cool because the expectation was, wasn't that you're going to be up there. So you're good to go. Um the church had restrictions. I couldn't get the same shots I could get uh, for the, um, you know, the outdoor barn wedding because I couldn't get that close. Um, so that's that's how it is. Or and I try to get parent reactions, and the only way to do that is you got to be up on the side aisle. Oh yeah. And if you're not allowed to go past the last pew, no matter what, you are not going to get that. And I'll just probably scrap the shot and get something different instead besides a reaction shot for you know either their kiss or their vows but here's my general uh, approach in a nutshell i will have 
two to three cameras, probably three. The three is my oh shit camera, uh, just rolling in the back wide, whatever. Um, because I am doing continuous coverage of all of my uh, weddings for the ceremony, because I do sell a decent amount of full ceremonies afterward, even Catholic, because while nothing really happens in the Catholic ceremony in terms of like that you put in the film uh, that's interesting, people still want to see all of that in some capacity, or at least some family member thinks they want to see it all. And so then the couple exactly. buys it slash they just say mom, dad, pay for it or grandma, grandpa, pay for it, whatever. Um, and so I, I will film in its entirety, the ceremony and the reception toasts. Those are things I will do continuous coverage on and upsell pretty successfully, meaning above a 50% rate, even afterward, if they didn't buy it beforehand. Um, so if you're not doing that, y'all should be doing that. Um, and yeah, um, I think it's better to sorry yeah. real quick have that footage because, like you say, if if you're, let's say they just book a highlight or something and you want to shoot for the highlight, that's great. But then you don't have that opportunity afterwards to come back and be like, oh, you want toast now? I didn't exactly do full coverage of that, or oh, I kind of right. just roamed during the ceremony. Like it's so nice to have like. Yeah a whole comprehensive set of footage from the whole day because then afterwards you can be like, oh man, you guys had some awesome toasts. How would you like a video of that? And like right. sometimes they won't know until after and I will tell clients this oh, beforehand. Yeah. Like you don't, that is something that's so easy to get afterwards. I We tell people we will shoot your wedding day the same way no matter what you book. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. We're shooting the day the same. So if you want to come to us after the wedding and be like, oh my gosh, I want to get those toasts because yeah. they were awesome or like whatever, great, we're going to have it. If you want raw footage four months after your wedding, we're going to have it. For sure. So For sure. That's that's. I think it's smart to do that because just business-wise, even though creatively you might hate that, <laughs> and I know people do, um, because it's, it's another camera or two that you have to think about making sure it's rolling and has a somewhat acceptable frame in it. But it's just, it's money, money, money uh, to be able to give them that, sell them that afterward. And man, I'm telling you, if, if I walked up to anybody and said, would you like to make an extra $10,000 this year? You could do it just from selling ceremony and toasts. I mean, you could like, why not? Like, I'll do that. That'll fund all my, you know, camera swaps and missteps along the way with gear. And, you know, I think it's smart. It's a smart thing to do business wise. I understand why creatively people are just like, I don't want to bother with it. And so therefore, I also understand why, you know, if you just don't want to bother with it and you're happy, the key thing is, are you happy and are your clients happy? Then we're good to go, you know, but if you're unhappy or our clients are constantly asking for, full ceremony, full toast, um, do you happen to have it? And you're like, well, I could hodgepodge something together. Ugh, it doesn't really look good. And then it looks bad on me. So I'd rather just always do continuous. I think you're right. Yeah. For sure. Cool. So let's talk now about kind of how you approach like the photo sessions. I know like family, you know, there's varying levels of how important that is, but you can talk a little bit about family photos, bridal party photos, and then really the meat and potatoes is the couple session. Yeah. So for, um, 
the couple session because I've we've built up we've spent this time building up us to the photographer and they know we're there and they hopefully respect us a little bit um, that's when the diplomacy doesn't end yet it never freaking ends but um, you want to make sure that you are confident to step in uh, when you see a shot or you see a scene that you want them to kind of do and just say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna direct them for a little bit so photo session regarding family formals uh, obviously don't touch any of that stuff that's for the photographer that's their shitty part of their day where they have to organize all that crap so I know that and so right after the ceremony I'm like hey are they doing an exit you know whatever and then uh, you know you might say hey <laughs> before they start the formals and you're they're going back into the church or they're going to the venue uh, wherever the ceremony was, um, just say like, hey, good luck. I know this is the shittiest part, but I'll be here when you're done. <laughs> just something to make them laugh, you know, because they hate it. They hate that part. That's them organizing and yelling and the chaos. And if there's a yes. language barrier, it's really bad. But um, the, for, for, for the actual couple session, um, I tell them, look, I'm not interested. I tell the photographer, I'm not really interested in bridal party stuff. Uh, I already, I'm going to get them bridal party stuff for the most part without directing anything i don't love to do like hey everybody cheer at the camera for 15 se or not 15 seconds but five seconds <laughs> 15 seconds oh god um uh and i don't really look for that stuff um and i don't shoot that specifically but i will get some of that stuff just to make sure i have enough content in my back pocket but um yeah so with the photographer knowing that I'm pretty much only interested in the couple, I will um, basically jump in every so often with things. So I'll, I'll tell them, hey, I'm really only interested in the couple, but um, if I see something, I'll let you finish your shot and your thought, and then I might borrow them for two minutes. But then I'll hand them right back to you, and you can shoot while I'm doing that. It's going to be very candid stuff. Um, and feel free to like think about what you want next during that time and just let their brain stop being I have to be on constantly and they're going to appreciate that. And that's something that I'll also communicate in the email prior. I will say, hey, during the couple session, I might, I'm going to grab them for a few things, not like 10 minutes at a time, nothing that's going to throw off anybody's schedule. And if we're doing multiple locations, which we are normally in Indiana, um, that way I'm not like shooting all of my creative shots in one specific spot um, and I and everything is happening there but when we're bouncing around for to a few areas I'm still only taking up maybe five minutes at each location um, yeah because I'm looking for not just I might even have them do very similar things at these locations but it's because it's a new visual thing for us to look at it's uh, it's more interesting for the viewer and for them. And they're happy to see footage at these different locations rather than you bouncing out after having a 10 minute session underneath the trees somewhere with the park in the background, you know, but you could do that. I mean, you can get everything you need. It kind of depends on the wedding schedule, but um, I am riding along and I'm, I'm, I'm interjecting myself into it every so often. And 
since I've emailed the, the, the photographer to say, yes, I'm going to jump in, that gives you a moment to breathe. They're, they're always gathering their stuff. They're talking to their second about where to go next. Like they're clearly appreciating that. And a lot of times they're like, oh, this looks great. And they'll shoot it too. And I love going through the albums and seeing like, oh, that was something that I did. And again, this is me not wanting to always shoot what they're shooting Yes, I can shoot alongside them, and obviously I need to to get content at the same time, but a lot of times, like, this is me, again, separating myself as a different entity and a different end product that's just, I don't need them, I never want them looking at the camera unless I'm intentionally telling them to break the fourth wall. Um, I'm, I don't like them also smiling in the distance knowing that there's a photographer there. It just takes me out as an editor and as a viewer, I'd rather have them be looking out somewhere while walking, looking into each other's eyes, telling each other some stupid joke. Uh, I, I like to say to the groom, like, hey, what's the, t lean into her ear and tell her the sexiest letter of the alphabet and why. And just have her, just laugh and do dumb stuff, be ready, you know, because they're already gonna start laughing off of that. Um, or I'll tell him that privately, and then sh when they come together, he'll lean in and, and say that. And you get such an authentic laugh or something stupid or, or like a yes. surprise or something that you're just not going to get with the posing and everything. So that's what I'm looking for is that that look in that brief second or two, and you just don't know when that's going to happen with, uh, with the photo session. So... That's why I'll do some directing and I'll tell couples like, hey, all my direction is like candid, very light. I intentionally tell you very little of what to do. And if it looks weird, I'll say something. So if I'm not telling you anything, that means it's good. And I just communicate that beforehand as well because, yeah, they're looking for feedback. You know, these are not models. These are not people. These are people who are probably, even though they look fantastic, are very concerned about how they look and if you're not giving them some feedback um, then they're probably gonna they may have some confused looks on their faces and you and it just depends like some couples are just laughing and giggling and they have a good time and then others are like you're like pulling teeth trying to get them to just like authentically smile and that's because they're probably stressed yes. out yes but um but that's how i do the couple session yeah yeah that's awesome and i think that's just something that you have to feel out with each couple is like mm -hmm. I've had couples where it's like, man, I don't have to say a thing to you. Basically, yeah. you guys are going to not stop looking at each other right. and having your little secret conversations unless we p pull you pull away them from apart. each other. Yes, yes. So, like, with those couples, I'm literally will just, if I have a few minutes where the photographer is, like, not shooting, I'm just like, just do what you're doing. Literally, yeah. don't even pay attention to me. Just keep talking to each other. You're right, and exactly. And, like, for those couples that it's easy, they'll just, like, giggle and laugh, and they're telling each other things, and it, going exactly. at it and I'm just circling around them like oh this is awesome and I'll like yep. throw in little compliments like oh this looks so good or yes oh yes. that's awesome or reinforcement like, to kind of good pump thing. them up you yes. know yeah yeah it's it's such a great thing to do and even with the ones that you know they're a little more you know don't know what to do or they're a little more need a little more direction mm -hmm. even still like you can figure out what is this what's going to help them relax you For know sure. being able to fill that out and be like you know what they need a little extra help as far as what I want them to do for my video, but I can do it in a way that's going to make them feel really good about themselves. So 
Yes, I'm nodding awesome. my head for those who are. <laughs> but there's no video, so yes, I am nodding my head. I'm in total agreement. It is going to vary on the couple. Um, some people are just yeah, they're they're com- comfortable on the day of, and you're able to literally just stick them somewhere, and then they're already giving you gold, and you're like, okay, like today was easy, and you walk away from those weddings, and you're just like. Yeah, this is why I do this. This was easy and fun, and every wedding will be like this. And then the next one's like the worst wedding you've ever done. So it's just how it is, the nature of the job. Awesome. So I know you're kind of eager to talk about your toes. So let's get into the reception portion of the wedding. Um, what makes me eager being... to talk about my toes? <laughs> Can't you, wait you to talk about my earlier. toes. I brought them up. I know. I, I do like the toast, man. It's because they're important. That, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it is our bread and butter. And at the reception, even like in the whole day, that's probably the chunk of time where we actually want to stand up and be like, okay, I'm going to be in charge of the toast. I want to tell you where to stand and yeah. what I want it to look like. Because like the photographer at this point, they want to get some shots just to have the documentation of it. But they're yeah. not worried about exactly. Like, they're like kind of like, oh, yeah, wherever you want to put them, I'm just going to snap photos of it exactly so they that's don't really, really the opportunity for us they don't really care because those photos are also if they even make it into an album it's one of each person and that's it yeah. and so you're talking about one like te- technically like one fiftieth of a second or whatever their shutter is that's all they care about is one mo- now they're snapping because they you know you get a lot of eyes closed mouth open stuff but um for them but for us you know we don't need to worry about that since we're shooting at least 24 frames per second. All right, but go ahead. Ask me my toast question. I'm ready. Yeah, so since your films are very audio-driven and toasts are like a huge part of your final edit, what's kind of your process when you're thinking about toasts at a reception? And how do you like really make sure that you get what you want? At the reception, um, when I get there, it's audio first. Um, because if I don't have audio, I don't have a film, even if it looks great lit, if I don't have that feed or I didn't have time to get that feed, that's where I have a major issue. So it's, it's get there, get that audio hookup. Um, and that's a big, uh, thing is like, how do you get a clean feed? Right. Um, a lot of the time there's that there's a second output on the wireless receiver that nobody's using and people are always shocked like djs and mcs uh, are shocked (laughs) when i say hey first off i emailed them as well and i say i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get a feed from you if i can so that that way i'm not just barging in being like what's up i have two seconds give me your feed or the girl gets it. Like, it's just, you gotta, like, <laughs> diplomatically, you know, I just do I just do that email the week before because they're probably shooting a wedding that the weekend. I don't, you just want to say, hey, your next wedding, you know, I, it, with these people that's within five days. I'm going to be there. I don't need to do it, like, four months out. Uh, they will definitely forget about you. Um, and uh, And I say... In the email, I say, I'm going to try to get the cleanest feed, and I'll work with you to obtain that. And I, in the past, I've kind of gone into some detail about how I do that, but I think I'm just going to take it all out because they don't, they never retain anything of what I said. Like, even if I say, hey, there's usually a second output from your receiver, I'm going to use that. 
and then I show up and they, they never know what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to try to get the cleanest feed from you. I would appreciate it if we work together and um, we'll test it and make sure everything is good on your end so that you're confident that everything is going to work because that's what they want. They want to make sure that they gonna look, they're going to look good and sound good live at the event. After that, they don't care. Um, whereas that's all I care about is after the event, I'm listening, you know, I've got, I'm in a quiet place and I've got my, my headphones on and I'm like, there's a buzz. There's horrible. There's a, they have a, they have an echo on this. And I, so I, I don't want to overwhelm them with what I'm looking for in the email. I just want to say, Hey, let's work as a team and we're going to be awesome and you're going to kill it. And I'm going to show how awesome you are by how packed the dance floor is. And we're, I'm only going to show favorable footage so that everybody thinks that you were awesome the whole time, which I'm sure you will be stuff like that. You know, got to build them up. Um, I don't have uh, problems with DJs. I know people are like, this DJ is terrible. And this photographer is terrible, man. If you're doing diplomacy, right. You don't have problems that much. Yes. You have bad apples every so often. I'm not talking about the outliers I'm talking about the vast majority of people you're going to deal with. You can do it and do it well. And everyone will walk away loving you. And then that's how you're going to get the money when you get hired again. Yes. So I take the second output from their receiver. That's not the board. That's the receiver. They're usually using the XLR out from their receiver, but there's normally, I would say more than half the time, of course, it depends on the receiver. If it's a cheap, tiny little receiver, it's probably not going to have a second output, but it's going to be a quarter inch out and it's going to say instrument out or INST. Um, and you can grab that and it's a clean feed right into your recorder just have them give a little sound check um, into it to make sure that I'm getting a feed, he's getting a feed, and we're good. And then you're like, I'm done. You see, you don't even have to set levels. We don't have to test on anything else. They're always like, holy crap, that's amazing. I did not know that existed. Why isn't everybody else doing that? So with the second output, they appreciate it because there is no need for them to set their levels. They are just done and they don't have to, you know, work with you on setting any of that fader or listening for how, you know, buzzy the feed is because it's always going to be the cleanest feed because you're not passing through their board. Now, if I don't have the second output, I will use a splitter. And Charlie talked about the yes. splitter. Um, that's an XLR splitter, um, a, a one to two. So it takes one and splits it into two. And um, you have to bring two XLR cables for that. Um, and uh, I know it's intimidating <laughs> to use. It just just use it, and you'll start to you'll start to understand how it works and explain you know, we're just going to split this feed. And again, that, that makes it so that it doesn't go through the board. Um, but sometimes they don't have access to the, you know, receiver. It's just too deep into their setup and they can't get to the back of it. Um, and in that case, I will have to take something from the board if they just absolutely refuse. Again, I'm not looking to make enemies today. Um, and I'll take that. I'll listen to it. If it's good enough and I can clean it, okay. But regardless, I'm always going to have a backup uh, on a physical PA system, um, meaning either the drape method by draping a 10L, a Tascam DR10L in front of it, or now yep. I've been using the Instamics um, 
the magnetic mount because you can literally like you're like James Bond. You 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 set your Instamic level and you clip it onto the front of the. I don't even say clip. You magnetically pop it on like James Bond, and then you just walk away as if you did nothing, and nobody's the wiser. And I've only had one time did I have. Uh, I was doing it with a band. I had one band member. <laughs> they were looking at the front of the, the speaker, and I knew that they saw my little device because it looks like a little ticking like time bomb kind of because they're like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> they know what their speakers are supposed to look like. So he's looking at it, and he calls somebody else over, and I'm just watching them, seeing how far they'll go, like if they'll touch it or take it or something like that. And uh, when it seems like they're going to pull it off, I walked up, and I was like, looks like you guys found my hidden mic. <laughs> so... Um, you know, the placement of that is important because you don't want it to be near the base, which is normally towards the bottom of a PA system. You want it kind of where more in the middle slash upper part where the voice is going to come through. So that's not too bassy. Um, and I use the Instamic and it's pretty great because you can kind of check on those levels while it's recording, you know, from afar, um, Bluetooth range that is. And um, that's always running the whole night, and that's just ready to go as a, I'll call it an analog backup because it's a very crude way to get the audio. So yeah. I'll, have, I'll have one of those going. We have the main feed off the board. Um, if I'm splitting, I might even also get a board feed, but if I feel pretty good about the mic system, then I'll leave it at that. Um, and... The only time that fails is if the wireless system fails. You you don't have a mic on the microphone, so I'm I'm open to putting an Insta mic on the mic, but I just haven't physically done that. Or you'd have to mic everybody, but I really hate doing that. So I'd rather just I'd rather just put an Insta mic or um, use a mic stand and run a wire up the mic stand so it's sitting at the base of the of the handheld. Um, and and do that but honestly um once i i the wireless systems are pretty they're okay they work well enough um i i do want to put something on the mic uh itself i think that would be like a foolproof way that no matter what crap goes down with the wireless you at least have some sort of like thing physically there ready to go because i don't want to deal with miking bridesmaids if i can i just don't want to do that yeah absolutely so I want to go ahead and transition us into the editing portion of this conversation. Um, I feel like the fact that we talked about toast as like the main part of the reception is really important because it's an area where I feel like is one of the most challenging things and something that's super important to continue talking about. So how do you kind of approach an edit having shot the day the way you want it? You're probably thinking about it as you're shooting. What does your editing process kind of look like? you know, brief overview and then kind of what elements are you using to really craft your story? Number one is once I have a wedding in premiere, I'm on premiere right now. I want to, trans right. I, I want to transition to final cut. Um, and I'm in the process of slowly going through those growing pains, but, um, I'll talk about my premiere process, which will be very similar in final cut. They just call it different stuff. Um, but the audio is number one, and what I'll do is I'll sync up all of my ceremony and toasts and pull the audio from that that might be good to use. 
I don't yet know exactly if it'll be good or what my story is necessarily, but I want to get it all... In Premiere, I, I get it all on one timeline just so I can see... I can even see how long it could be. Like, hey, this film could be this long because I have this much eligible audio, but then I'm going to cut that down even further to just the best stuff that is relevant to the story that I think I might want to tell from when I shot it. Like, oh, I kind of remember that. But honestly, when I'm shooting a wedding, I'm not really listening to the toasts that in-depth. I'm kind of just focusing on composition and, hey, are they going to say something funny or are they doing something sad? I'm not really listening to the content Um too much just because my brain is just focusing on hey is the lighting good is the comp good uh am i in a position to swivel over and grab a reaction shot um but in the edit i am listening for the audio first and i make a pass on that audio meaning i just kind of cut out the stuff uh, now that i can kind of see okay this i have 25 minutes of eligible audio i'm now going to cut it down to each person's essentials and then from there i will make what I call the audio skeleton. So the skeleton is the base of what the film is, where I will put all of that audio in about the order I kind of wanted in, maybe uh, on a timeline, and I will find my music for that simultaneously. So depending on what's being said, that's of course going to drive what type of music selection. You know, if it's a joyous day, and nobody's emotional and it's just like party, then obviously I'm not gonna be doing, you know, too much airplanes music from music bed. I'm not gonna be doing a lot of like orchestral stuff. I'm just gonna go into a more upbeat, happy feeling throughout the day. Um, and then once I have all of the audio, just dialogue that is down and spaced throughout the music, and we have no visuals at this point. Yes, there's video associated with the speeches and the ceremony or the letters or whatever. There is video associated with it, but I don't yet have any of my B-roll in place at all because I will completely make a film from start to finish with just my audio first. Now, I'll make adjustments later when I'm thinking about the actual visual I want to show during that specific dialogue moment, but... I have to get to this point, and this is the hardest point to get to. This is the biggest hurdle to overcome. Once you have the audio skeleton done and the music done-ish, like 90%, the rest of it's just fun to do. Now you're just like piling in all the hard work that you did, sprinkling it in there, and having a good time. I mean, you're, you're way over 50% through the film when you have your audio skeleton done, for me. Um, that's just what takes the most time is finding the eligible audio, getting it in the order that makes sense. And what does that mean? Well, it means it makes sense to both a random viewer and for the couple, because I need random people to kind of understand what's happening, even though the couple, if you edit for the couple, the, your story could be kind of funky because they know, I know, you'll be like, oh, they know who that is. So it's not that I would always use an introduction for like them introducing themselves, but I might need to, if they're making references to them being a sibling, I kind of would hopefully find some audio bit where they're saying, I'm John and I'm the groom's brother. So I kind of want that to be introduced because I think with editing, it's very easy to just edit for the couple. And then it is hard for outside people to connect. 
But then that's a balance between, you know, are you editing to get more jobs or are you editing for the couple? And ultimately, you should be editing for the couple. Um, and longer films, that if you're doing a longer film, it's just a little easier, in my opinion, because you just have more options in terms of like, you could spend time introducing somebody because you are trying to fill time. But I think that if you're doing the 60 second like trailer edits and stuff, that's when you can edit for your next job and you're not necessarily editing for the couple. Yes. That's when it frees you up to be creative and to not feel constrained like, oh, but this, but they won't know who this person is because I don't introduce them. How will I know that's her dad? He, they had her at such a young age, like it could be a brother. It could be just the way that he might be talking about her could be confusing. But of course, for the couple, it won't be. So you can you need to edit carefully in the sense that shorter edits that are going to go online quickly maybe within 12 hours of the wedding ending um can be more free and more open and less um you know for the couple and more so for you to show off your awesome awesome amazing skills and then the longer edits that's when you need to start transitioning into but what does the couple want to see? Even though it's not the most amazing shot, I know that they'll appreciate that shot. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that when I'm making these edits. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you come at it from such an audio-centric standpoint where you really want to focus on that as your first step. I think that's awesome because when you have that audio telling the story, then you go back through it and you're just dropping footage in. You have, you know, you've cold all the good just stuff. Just dropping it like it's use. hot, you know, that's all. Exactly, exactly. Dropping it like it's hot, just throwing in. And like, as you're listening through the audio that you've already set aside, you're like, oh man, I know I can throw that shot there and this shot yeah. here. And she mentions this and I have a shot of that. I mean, at that point, yeah, it just really helps the rest of your process along for sure. Yeah, and um, when I'm making my, when I'm trimming down all of my B-roll, so just all the other eye candy, um, you know, I'm, 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 I can do that um, before I do the audio skeleton, or I can do it afterward. I really, it doesn't affect um, what I'm choosing as my audio skeleton. I do think it's, it's probably good to do the B-roll before so you're more aware of the footage and then that kind of influences like, oh, I know I have shots of that um, as you're listening. But some days I just don't feel like looking at B-roll and I'm like, I'm just gonna work on the audio today. And basically it's, so it's, it's a two-step process. When do I have all my B-roll cut down to what's usable and then when do I have my audio skeleton done? And I might bounce back and forth doing those but they're kind of two separate things to me. It's me choosing the audio, and then the other one is me just trimming, trimming down, uh, you know, in and out points on what's good content. So, you know, visually, what's good content visually? Because they're two separate things. One is good content audio, and the other is good content visually. And then when I'm done with the skeleton, if I already know, like if I'm like, I know I want this shot at this moment in the film, I'll put down those shots first, so that I don't have to think about them anymore. I'm like, yep, she's coming down the aisle right here at three minutes. That's when that's happening. I'm gonna put in some stuff with that. Maybe it's a multi-cam so I can do easier cuts, but that's happening there. And I might put in some reactions at that point 
but then that's the only part that I have. Like I know that that's happening there, and then I'll feel fi- I'll figure out everything else before it, and I'll figure out everything else after it. But that's it. So that's kind of another technique. Um, there are points where I know for sure that I want certain things in certain spots. Awesome. So what do you feel like has been the biggest benefit of you being like? comprehensively shooting and editing all your work what do you think how do you think editing has really just transformed the way you shoot over because the years? if you don't if you don't edit you never know you're never actually going to really improve your shooting because you're never going to understand what you didn't get that you wanted that you need so for me when i'm watching a lot of people's work and when I'm watching my work, sometimes I don't understand where I am physically in the day because there's not like a good location shot or there's not like a wide shot that's showing me what I'm seeing and it doesn't ground me and I need a wide shot. Because I think we have the we have a tendency to shoot 50 millimeters or tighter for much of the day um unless you love your gimbal then you're probably floating around on that thing all day um and in that case i feel like i would probably be missing the tighter shots it's always the balance but if you're you know monopoding and tripoding all day on tighter stuff you just i just need i need to back out you know every so often i or, or before we change scenes i need i need that establishing shot and when you're only when all you're doing is shooting and you're not aware like of how much that hurt you when you when in the edit you don't have the shot you're never gonna be aware that oh yep i do need a wide shot of this place because i'm always dying for it in the edit again it's about grounding a viewer that wasn't there do they know what's going on or are they confused and people when they say i love your work i don't know what it is about it but a lot of times it's just stuff like that. It's it's the whole package. It's they're not confused during the edit because there's time shifting going on, right? They're, you're jumping around all over the place with audio. But visually, I'm trying to advance the day for the most part chronologically. Um, but they're just going to be confused. And if people leave your website confused or they're just not really, they're like, ah, oh, it seems like he's still learning, still figuring it out. But maybe the price point's good. That's why, you know, you can't, you see people saying, I start at 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. They're not, they're starting there because they've probably already put in years of work and made all the mistakes that you still need to make. So as an editor, I think you, and a shooter, they complement each other so well. Even if you eventually move into just doing one or the other, you need to do both because it really does better both of them. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that is such great advice. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we sign off? Yeah, my advice is um, if you're looking for, I see this a lot in the forums, like, hey, what should I spend my money on? Should I buy this drone? Should I buy this piece of glass? Should I get a light? Obviously, it depends on what you're doing. But for the most part, if you have to ask that question, that means you probably actually need to spend your money on education. And Nice. Because once you have the education, you're actually going to be like, I see what's important or what I feel is important. And that will drive your gear purchases. 
for me, once, and I'm telling you, if you haven't been educated or you haven't gone to WPPI or you haven't done a workshop with somebody, you, you, you kind of scoff at this answer. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't need that. Um, and I was similar. I was like, I know what I'm doing well enough. But the truth is, is that you really don't <laughs> until you hang out with people who know what's up. And they're super humbling and and then you go oh okay so i do need to do this so that's why for me when i watched the creative live with ray roman that was education and that drove my gear purchases because then i was able to understand why lighting is important and why um that makes or breaks how people perceive themselves in the film because they just look good every time you see them they look good because you know not to shoot in bad lighting and so therefore you know to shoot something else when they're doing that and so now you're more efficient on the day it's just it all comes together and it all revolves around are you educated on what you want to do so i think education um, is the number one thing i wish people would invest in right away because i've i've told charlie <laughs> I kind of want to shoot Wait, a wedding. Wait, how many I'm, times is that? I don't know. It's like five or six. I got to say, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Um, <laughs> I have said to him, hey, wouldn't it be fun to shoot a wedding with like like a Canon T2i? Just like some shitty like old camera and blow the top off of what most people are, are able to make with high-end cameras because it comes down to composition, lighting, and audio above all else like yes we love our gear we love our gear but i can make a canon t2i uh look fantastic if you play to its strengths because you're educated on on how to create images and how to manipulate motions in the edit so yeah uh that's my advice i think that is so awesome because i mean yes gear is there to serve us and it's you know it's fun to get the new stuff and sometimes new technology really improves how we're able to capture a day but mm -hmm. it goes back to those basics and like sometimes i'm even in my own personal experience i'm finding you know what i like more minimal stuff like mm -hmm. i know what to do and i know what i want my my goal is mm -hmm. and i don't need a lot I just, you know, work with what I have or I'm like, you know what? I have too much right now. Let's chuck what I don't need. What do I actually need to get this shot? Boom. And there exactly. it is. And exactly. then you work more efficiently on the wedding day and you end up getting more shots when you know how to execute rather than just, I have all this fancy gear. Hopefully I'll get a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. so. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Larry. It's been so good having you on today. It's been wonderful to be here again. I had a lot of fun with you. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next week. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show, and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.